Philippians 2, verses 4 to 12. This book is written to a local church 2,000 years ago. But local churches still need things that are what are written in this book, uh, in this epistle. And that's what we're trying to uh, as we go through the book of trying to be helped as a local church and as Christians from the timeless instruction from the Apostle Paul in this case. And so to, right today he talks about a mindset, a mentality, and he uses Jesus as the example of a mentality that we need to have. So let's notice here Philippians 2, verse 4. <clears throat> Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being in, found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice here the scripture says in verse 5, it's kind of our key thought uh, that I think is the setting for the whole, the rest of it. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Um, you know your mindset, you know a lot of what we do, a lot of the things we do in action and say, uh, positive or negative, can be explained by what was in our brain, right? Yeah. Our mentality explains a lot of things, doesn't it? You can have two people uh, of the same age, same, same uh, physical uh, ability, um, same height, same weight, say two, two, just say two high school athletes. Um, and I've seen this happen actually when I was in high school. You had two guys with the same athlete, or same height, same grade, same age, about the same weight, seemed about the same muscular build. And um, one of them just try harder. <laughs> and the other give up early. It's usually because of mentality, the mentality. If you want to be, they say, if you want to be a good artist, you got to have an artist's mind. Right? Anybody like to draw in here? Coloring counts. Okay. Yeah. No? Like to draw? Yeah. Got some artists in here. There's an artist's mind, isn't there? If you want to be a good hunter, and I don't mean like for deals at you know at stores. I mean like a guy that hunts. Usually it's a guy. Ladies definitely can hunt, but they want to. You have a mind of a hunter, you know, think like a hunter. You don't just walk out there, where are you at? You know, you, there's a strategy to what you're going to shoot and kill and how you approach it and the time of year and all that. And Oh, it's good to get permits too, that helps. Um, but there's a mind for a hunter, isn't there? There is. Um, there's a mind, there's an engineer mind. There's a mind for an engineer and a, a person who designs things. My son, Michael, our, our oldest son, in I, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, he went to EVIT one year. EVIT is called East Valley Institute of Technology. There's two campuses. There's the main original campus in Mesa at Main Street and 
almost near Dobson. And then there's, or Amos School, and then there's another campus on Power Road in Pecos um, that's EVID. Again, it's, a, it's pretty much our tax dollars are, I think it's, I think it's pretty good for the most part, uh, are helping uh, high school, typically high school students uh, can take, it. it's like an extended shop class or whatever for like three hours, five days a week. Um, and you can take vocational classes there of all kinds of things, all kinds of stuff. Well, Michael went there one year, uh, his senior year of home school, high school. In fact, he would get up early. Michael, as a senior year of homeschooling, he'd get up early in the morning. I don't remember what time because he opened uh, for Chick-fil-A over at in Santan, uh, uh, the Santan market area. He'd get up early in the morning. He'd go to work. I don't know what time he'd have to get there. He'd prep and open up for them. And he'd work till, I don't know, 10 or 11. He'd ride his bike there. He'd open up at Chick-fil-A. He'd do all his work till 10 or 11. Um, and then he'd ride from Chick-fil-A at uh, Santan, the Market Street in uh, Williamsfield Boulevard, uh, Williamsfield Road. He'd ride all the way over to Power Road on his bike and then down one more mile to Pecos and go attend EVIT for three hours. He'd do that five days a week. And I would pick him up at the end of the day. We wouldn't have him right home. I'd pick him. We'd do him a favor there. But it was actually good for him. It was a good, good exercise, and, and it taught him self-discipline, and, he, and he, he, he tended to already have a little bit of self-motivation there. But he did that almost basic, about five days a week, and uh, we'd pick him up. But he went to Evet uh, one year, and um, uh, it was – so what happened was is the, there was a class called pre-engineering class that they offered. It's for guys who, and he didn't know what he was going to be, but it was interesting. But it was for guys who maybe were inclined toward engineering. In fact, if you took this class and completed it, it, it would count for a credit at ASU for something, engineering there. So anyways, we signed him up. It was the first year they had this engineering class. I don't even know if they still have it. Um, and so I went to his first class with them. I sat in there. There wasn't a lot of guys in there. Um, but I sat in there, and again, engineering means, you know, you, you look at the design of things, of structure, of there's civil engineering, there's structural engineering, there's electrical engineering, there's mechanical, there's all kinds of engineering where you're examining the structure and function of something and see how it can be designed better or how you can begin, start a design for something. So there's all kinds of facets of engineering. It's basically the guys that are smart. It's what it is, is basically, you know. And so anyways, he, he, he went to that class, and I sat in there the first day. And one of the first things the teacher said was he'd get the guys together. He said, all right, now listen. This is one of the first things he said. He says, you know, this is engineering, and we're going to study this. We're going to study water, and we're going to study electronics. And we're going to see, he told them all the different things and how something can work better on how to manage water and electronics and structure and uh, um, um, just he named different areas. And he goes, now listen, you need basically what he's saying, you need to have an engineering mind starting right now. And he says, so for instance, he goes, if I have a cup of water and I got this cup and it's half full, I got this cup, but it's half full of water. He said, Now what's the pessimist gonna say about the cup that's half full of water? And he said, well, the pessimist is going to say it's half empty. And he said, okay, now what's the optimist going to say about the cup that's half full of water? 
the optimist is going to say, well, it's half full. He goes, but what does the engineer say about a cup that's half full of water? The engineer is going to say, we need to redesign this cup <laughs> so that it's efficient. It's not wasting space. And that's what he told them the very first day. And he was basically saying, all right, have an engineer mind. Whatever you're looking at is that, can that be better? Or can I invent something that will, you know? And so he was saying, you need to put on an engineering mindset right now if you're going to be an engineer. It's amazing. If you want to be a good artist, you have to have, to have an artist's mind. If you want to be a good you know, hunter, you've got to have the mind of a hunter and develop that. Athletes is a certain mentality. Athletes have engineers. You've got to have the mind of an engineer. If we want to be a good Christian, we have to have the mind of the Christ in the word Christian. Paul's talks. That's what Paul's talking about. Again, so much of what we're doing or not doing can be explained by our mentality. Do I have a Christ-like mentality? Do I have a Christian mind? When Paul said, look at this phrase, let this mind be. Those first four words, let this mind be. Those first four words are just one Greek word that says, have, have this attitude. Have this outlook. Have this perspective. You know, first of all, I need somebody to tell me what kind of attitude to have because I get off track. You ever get too off track on what's going on in the politics, what's going on in the economy, and what's going on with your neighbor, and my attitude wants to go this way or that way? I need somebody to tell me what kind of attitude to have, what kind of mind to have. Well, Paul says, here you go. Here's the kind of attitude to have. Here's the kind of mind to have, the, the mind that was in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. I need to have the mind that was in Jesus Christ. That would make sense. I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow the Christ of, be, of that word that I claim to have, be as Christian. We have, okay, so when Paul says, let this mind be in you, allow this mentality, allow this mentality in contrast to other mentalities, we can allow a diff, another kind of mind to be in us sometimes. If you are... Um, Sometimes we allow wrong minds to be in us. And I'm not saying a wrong like a wrong thought, isolated wrong thoughts. I'm not talking so much about that. I'm talking about a whole attitude. You know what common wrong mindsets I notice among the world and us? Common wrong mindsets, wrong minds that we let in, we let in a proud mind. We let in covetous mind. And we often let in a selfish mind, which kind of connects all of those. We often allow ourselves to have a proud mind. Again, proud means this arrogant, swelling me, uh, uh, just so gloating about what self can do or what self is looking like, that's proud. We allow ourselves to have a proud mind. And God says, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, and the froward mouth, do I hate? 
In Proverbs, he says that. God says, I, I hate that mind right there. Um, we allow covetous. You know, sometimes we get very covetous. Like, I got to have, I got to have, and I want this, I want that. We get very covetous. And the economy sometimes needs us to be covetous. Right? It's nice being living in America, being able to buy anything with two clicks on Amazon. But I don't have to keep doing that. But the economy needs us. The, the economy needs us to keep being covetous, and we have to say, "Wait, I don't have to. You know, I don't have to buy everything they say. I don't have to do. I don't have to go exuberant on these holidays or at all if I don't want to. Uh, I don't have. And magazines are geared to get you to be covetous. Some of these younger. I don't think people. I don't know if anybody can read magazines anymore, but. You know what I mean? They try to get, look what they're doing. Look what they have. Ooh, don't you wish you had that? You know, and it really appeals to young people, too. You know, it's like, what do I need to have? What's helpful for me to have? Um, it's kind of amazing that the biggest, sometimes violent, most violent, frenzy shopping day of the year comes one day after the day we're supposed to be thankful. <laughs> right? You know, I don't care if you go shopping on that day, by the way, but isn't it like we're just, oh, thank you. So thankful for what we got. Are you getting up early in the morning? You better watch out for those other people, man. They're going to get in front of you, get that flat screen. You better jump in line, you know. And we get, why? That's kind of weird, you know, having these things. But we can, have, we can have a mind where we allow ourselves to be proud because our athletes are, our actors are, our politicians are, the rap music people are. It makes you have a mindset of pride. We can allow ourselves to be have a covetous mindset. I gotta have this, gotta have that, gotta because my neighbor does, because the guy at church does, because my coworker does, because this phone keeps telling me to buy this stuff. We get covetous mindsets, and then sometimes we just have a selfish mindset. Me, self. I gotta feed self. I'm gonna look on my things, and we get the mindset. Don't dis. Don't you're you're messing me up, man. You're messing me up. Don't don't ask me to do something extra. We're selfish. And God says, you know, that Jesus died and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and rose again for them. And about covetousness, the Bible tells us as Christians to let our conversation, that is, let our lifestyle be without it. Even if it seems un-American, let your conversation, American Christian, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, contrary to a lot of other Americans. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says that in Hebrews 13. So there's different mindsets, pride, covetousness, selfishness. There's different ones that we sometimes let ourselves have. And we got to say, wait a minute. I'm not having the right attitude here. But there's a healthy mindset. There's a healthy mind that I need to let come in me. I need to let be in me. The mind of Christ. Now, Paul tells us what the mind of Christ is like. In general, the mind of Christ is one that was not looking out for himself, but looking out for others. Look at verse 4. Look not every man upon his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, that's referring back to that, be in you. So what did Jesus do? Of course, here's a, Jesus came to the cross, but before that, he was in heaven eternally uh, coexistent with God the Father, and he made it the greatest adaptation ever. 
You ever had to adapt yourself to something, you know? Get down on your knees to play with the kids or a baby? Or do something weird for your dog to help them or cat? You have to adapt yourself or do something different at work that you're not normally doing? You have to adapt. Um, some of us have to adapt something when it's broke. You know, my lawnmower's not working. I got tie wraps and duct tape and I got stuff holding things on. It looks kind of dangerous. You try to adapt it. Jesus made the greatest adaptation because he was looking on our things. Like, I better adapt myself and come down and leave eternity, step out of eternity as it were, stay God, he's still God, but step away from that union that is a mystery to us and that pleasantness of being at the right hand of the Father, step away from that and adapt himself and confine himself to flesh and blood in time and space in a relative life of obscurity. That's a great adaptation. That's his mind. That's the type of mind it took to save us. So here's three descriptions. Here's three snapshots of or scenes of the mind of Christ. Paul talks about it. First, what does the mind of Christ look like? What does his mind look like? What does this look like of having the mind of Jesus in particular? It's a mind that steps down for others. Secondly, it's a mind that serves others. We'll see, thirdly, it's a mind that sacrifices. These, these verses that we see following, verse 6 through, in particular, verse 6 through uh, 8, a mind that steps down. Steps down? Yeah. Steps down for others, a mind that serves others, a mind that sacrifices. And so we have to, so Paul's showing us this, so we'll look at it and think, okay, I need to have that mentality. Notice what he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, all right, so he says, let, here, have this mind, who, Jesus, here's what he was like, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So it's saying a couple things. It's saying that Jesus Christ is God. He's equal with God the Father. There's three persons but one God. It's the great mystery of the Godhead. He's God. But when it says this, this strange phrase to us, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, we're like, what? what? What it means is he did not think, oh, I got to stay like this. I can't leave heaven. No, no, I don't want to go. It means he didn't feel like, oh, I got to keep, I I keep my dignity. He didn't think it robbery. He didn't think it that way. So in other words, letting go and stepping down, as it were, out of eternity into time and space was, means, I don't think it's robbery. The word robbery is a, an unusual way of using it for us today. It means a thing to be grasped. Like if I really, you know, sometimes I see my kids do this, you know. They're like, oh, there's one more cookie on the table. Right, and they grab it. It's robbery, a thing to be grasped. You gotta hang on to that, you know. And, um, you know, kids get like that. Or, um, you know, your, your, your cat trying to be put into the, to the bath, right? You know, no, I want to hang on to some, what they got. You know, the dog, the dog needing to go to the vet. You're like, nope, I don't want to go here again. And you're there dragging the dog, you know. Like, nope, I'm not going to go down there and dig. I, I want to keep my dignity here. And, uh, and he goes in with his tail between his legs and as humbled as ever, you know. The, it's, I know that's silly stuff, but the idea of Jesus thought about robbery, that is, Jesus didn't think, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta maintain my, 
my dignity. I got to maintain my high position up to come down and be like men. Imagine us, imagine you having to be crunched down into an ant. And now you got to go live among the ants who are not even as intelligent. They don't think as us, you know. That'd be humbling, right? I'm not going to become an ant to help those other ants from that flood that's coming or the orkin man to warn him from it. I'll never do that. But what if you did? Why, that would be like, you didn't, I guess you didn't have to retain your, you weren't so covetous of your own humanity that you were willing to let it go to go save these ants. And that's the idea of Jesus is that he stepped down. So his mind was, I'll step down for the good of others. Isn't that amazing thought? Would I ever step lower in any way for the good of others? If not, am I greater than my master? He did that. I, I love the, uh, this, the testimony of this guy, and there's a lot of little side stories to him. But it's been a blessing for me to look and read about this guy's testimony. His name's Robertson McQuilkin. I think I've told you maybe a few stories about him before. Um, he passed away a few years ago. But Robertson McQuilkin... He and his wife, Muriel, were missionaries to Japan for like 12 years in the, in the 50s and 60s or something like that. And, um, uh, you know, conservative evangelical type people. They were missionaries to Japan. And then he was, he was called, he accepted the call to be president of what's now called Columbia International University, which was Columbia Bible College and Seminary. He accepted the call to be their president, which I think it's in South Carolina. And, um, and again, it's more of a conservative-leaning uh, school. So, so he was 12 years missionaries, missionary. Then he becomes the president of this Bible college and seminary. And when he was the president, he did a good job. He kind of got them more on a missions focus and an evangelism focus and really cranked up that emphasis for the school instead of just being little intellectuals. And he, he got a good emphasis and influence on this school during the time he was the president. In fact, I got one of his books that they, I used in college uh, called Understanding and Interpreting the Bible. It's a, a book he wrote. Anyways, um, a, um, so he was the Bible college president, did well, they loved him, but during his years, and his wife was involved, she did some kind of radio ministry, I think on the campus or something, but during the 80s, and I can't remember his exact age at the time, but during the 1980s, excuse me, his wife, I think mid-1980s, mid his wife started showing signs of Alzheimer's. And um, little things. And then by, so by, and so she need, started needing more and more care. Meanwhile, he's still being the president of this Bible college. And um, finally, it came to the point in 1990, it came to a decision point. Okay, Muriel now needs me 100%. Or, the school needs me 100%. And that's what he came to. Because with her, she wasn't responding as well to their caretakers and whatever nurses and stuff. She responded better to his care. And apparently he positioned himself where he's able to step aside and maybe bring an income in another way. But he got to the point where it was the school 100% or Muriel 100%. And he's like, I'm going to choose her 100%. And he stepped down from being president of this Bible college and seminary to take care of his wife uh, full-time. And he did. Took care of her from 1990 until 2000, 
three. So basically in 13 years. And um, he, and, and it became kind of like a love story. Like everybody admired, wow, what a great thing he would do. You know, Focus on the Family had interviews with them, and there was a little book written, and, but he was just doing his stuff. And there was a couple nice little incidents that, incidents that happened in those years. One time, it was in 1995, he was, uh, she hadn't been as verbal lately from 90 to 95, not as verbal, but he would take, again, he'd take care of her every day, all kinds of things that involved with that, including changing her. But in 1995, he said one morning, he was on his, he was on his, right, he was on his bicycle, his exercise bike, and he's going, and he's sitting there thinking, and it's in the morning, and, and he realizes, oh, it's Valentine's Day. He's thinking, wow, it's Valentine's Day. And he's sitting there going, and, and he started thinking of memories of Valentine's Day. And he remembered when his, when he, that's when he proposed to his wife. And he's thinking, and he's sitting there, and his wife's in there, and she hadn't spoken in a long time. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden, it was just a blessing, just kind of a little side story. It was a blessing. She said, all of a sudden, she spoke up and said, love, love, love. And he's like, gets off his bike and goes over to her and he says, Muriel, you do love me, don't you? You do love me. And she goes, I'm nice. <laughs> That's all she could say. But she knew somehow connected with Valentine's Day and she got those words out. And I'm nice was like, I, you know, another way of saying I love you. And uh, those were the last words she ever spoke to him. And by 1999, she was Totally, um, I don't know what you'd call it, helpless, you know, completely bedridden by 99, and then 2003 she passed away. But beautiful story. You could look it up. Beautiful love story. But, but my point is that I admire he, he, he was, he did not think the Bible college presidency was something, a thing to be grasped. He stepped down to take care of his wife. You know, that's what Jesus did for us. And that's the mindset I need to have that I'm willing to step down in certain ways to help others. It's the mind of Christ. What else is the mind of Christ? Look at it. And secondly, number two, it's the mind to, that's, that serves for the sake of others. He was in the form of God, but thought of it Robert, he'd be equal with God. Verse 8, being found in fashion as a man. I'm sorry, I want to back up. Verse 7, that's what I want to see. Verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. That means he, he, made, he made it to where he had an obscure life. He wasn't famous until those public ministry years. Verse 7, again, made himself with no reputation. And here's the word I want you to see. He took upon him the form of a servant. So what is it saying about Jesus' mindset? His mindset says he's not too good to come down and help me. He did that. He stepped down for the good of others. Secondly, it says he's willing not just to get down here and help me, but actually can be considered a servant and really be serving. Took upon him the form of what? A hero, a king. He rode around on a camel and it was like the nicest step. No, he didn't. Took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus looked like a common Jewish guy. Jesus lived like one. He didn't live in a high ivory tower. He, he worked as a carpenter. We don't know much about it. We know a little bit first two years of his life. We don't hear anything until he's age 12, the whole temple issue. And then you don't hear anything about Jesus until age 30 at his baptism. And then that's where you get all the, a lot of the content of the Gospels. The idea is that, what was he doing? He was just serving. He's serving as a, uh, pre, uh, presumably with his foster dad. 
Joseph as a carpenter. And even then, when he did his public ministry, how did he live? He lived like a servant. He walked around most places, didn't he? And he took care of the disciples and fed them and fed other people. And then he actually washed feet. He took upon him the form of a servant. He served for the good of others. That's how I need to be. That's the mentality I need. I need to be willing to serve. That is, render something. What does it mean to serve? To render something beneficial to somebody else for their benefit, you know. Render something beneficial to somebody. Serve them. Instead of always getting something beneficial. What do you got for me? Take that. What do you got for me? Instead of uh, drawing from everybody's perceived benefits for yourself, I render benefit. I offer benefit to somebody. You know the word benefit comes from the word where we get the word blessing. That's what Jesus did. He, sub, he, he served others. I told you before the story of uh, George Washington, our first president, when he was, at one point, he was traveling around on, maybe with another guy, and he was uh, on a horse, and he was in common clothes, and he came by a fort, uh, a fort like that they were building for some of our, um, some of the guys in our army, and they're building something, this and that, and he sees two men that were having struggling picking up a beam and they're trying to hoist up a beam onto another couple of pillars and they're struggling with it and he saw this other guy who's a corporal then they're yelling at him go come on he's yelling at these guys to get that beam in place and they were struggling with it and so George Washington he was not detected he wasn't uh, easily recognized because he was wearing regular clothes at the time calls out to the corporal he says corporal why don't you no he said sir why don't you go help him why don't you go help him? And the corporal says uh, to George Washington, not knowing who it is, Sir, I'm a corporal! And he goes, Oh, I didn't know that. And he gets off his horse. George Washington does, goes around, helps the guys lift the beam, puts the beam in place, and comes back over to the corporal and says, Corporal, next time you need some help, come ask your commander-in-chief. He said, Oh, he didn't know that was the George Washington. And uh, it's just the idea that he was willing to, he did step down, but also to serve and help. That's the kind of mindset I need to have. What is that you will not do that's non-sin, of non-sinful issue? Of course, we, we should say no to sin. What is that you won't do? I'm not saying what you can't do or have, don't have the ability to do, but what is it that you won't do that might would directly benefit somebody else right now? That's really the question. If I say, I'm not going to do this particular thing, even though I benefit somebody else, then I'm saying I'm greater than Jesus. Am I greater than my master? No, he would do that. I'm not going to be great, act greater than him. Another thing, again, last of all, what does it say here? The, a mind of Christ also is a mind that can sacrifice for others. It's serving he did serve, but sacrifice means, oh, man, I really have expended something valuable. Okay? The mind of Christ, what? Is a mind that sacrifices for others. Sacrifice is expending something valuable. What does it say? He uh, became, what does it say? He humbled himself, verse 8, in the middle of the verse, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was so, he adapted himself at such that he served humanity to the point that even it, that it had to cost his life to give humanity a benefit. He put his life down to give us the benefit of eternal life. 
And so there's points in my life and in your life where I'm like, I really have to actually, you know, sometimes most of us, most in this church, I compliment. Our church seems to be a very serving church. You probably have most of what this mind is today where you're like, you, you're thinking of others and you want to help others and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do something different and benefit somebody else. And I appreciate that. I think that's for the most part here and you want to keep that going. But boy, when it's something like, okay, that really cost me something. That really cost me some time. That really cost me some emotional energy. That really cost me a couple bucks. Oh, that's sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. He gave his life for our benefit, to benefit me. That's the mind of Christ. You know, sometimes it's like God, in fact, somebody like, were you saying that God's asking me to give my life for somebody? Well, you might, we might would have to at points. Greater love is no man than this, than that a man laid down his life for his friends. I just read about it. Um, an, Af- an Afghan, it was a guy who was an Afghan kid. He came here to the United States right before 9-11. 9-11 happened. He joined the army to help, again, from Afghanistan, but now an American in the American army. He did well in the army. He was over in Afghanistan fighting. He actually stayed there when he was out of the army. He stayed there for a while. And I just read this article. I think it was Fox or something. He was helping people escape. The Taliban, because the Taliban, just, they just are eating people up, especially Christians. And he was helping people escape across the border in Afghanistan. He was helping Christians and Catholics and some other minority groups escape from the Taliban. The Taliban caught him. and They didn't kill him, but they, they lashed him. And he basically said, I'd do it again. And um, he, that's sacrifice right there. That's a little more than service. That's sacrifice. He's putting his body on the line. And, I, and so this is, this is what we're encouraging you. Have the mind of Christ. I think of another guy. I think of a, there was a guy I read about. He was a deacon in a church. And he, he said, man, I can't do a lot of things. And this was like 100 years ago. He says, I can't do a lot of things. I can't speak and, and lead in uh, certain meetings. But he goes, yeah, I know what I think. I know what I can do. I can put two dinner plates on my table every Sunday. Two extra dinner plates, he said. I can do that. And he determined that, that he was going to have that mentality, that mind, and that act of service. And he began doing that. And his church was a little bigger. He'd see young guys that are, mainly he's going after young guys that are traveling. Perhaps he was near some area of a, a, a school or I don't know where he was at. But he would contact young guys that were visiting or coming in the church and he would connect with them or he'd connect with them outside the church, bring them to church, and then say, hey, come to my house afterwards. We're going to have a meal. And he did that, and he dedicated two extra meals every Sunday to some, particularly some guys, and he fed them. And I don't know how many years he did it, but it was enough years to where when he died, just like that one lady I told you about in Australia a few months back, when this guy died, they had to charter a train to bring people that were 30 miles away to come to his funeral, and they dedicated one car to this, to this deceased deacon. They dedicated one car. They said, if you've been led to the Lord, through this man's efforts, not just that you were his friend, but you became a Christian, get in that one rail car. Also, we want to know who those are. When they came, they came to his funeral, there was 150 men of that car that were led to the Lord through the years of this guy showing, serving people with two plates of, and of kind hospitality a Sunday. He had a mind of serving, a mind of helping. And God blessed that man. 
You know, God says the same thing here. He blesses that mind. He says he blessed the mind of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 9. Jesus had this mind of stepping down and serving and sacrificing. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Do you know one day everybody's finally going to believe? And everybody's finally going to say, Jesus is Lord. And everybody's finally going to do this. Everybody, heaven, earth, under the earth, demons, humans, atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Muslims, Mormons, Catholics, unsaved Baptists, everybody, saved ones too, everybody's, yeah, it's good to have some saved Baptists, uh, everybody is going to finally do it, but some will do it because they're already going, they're damned already, and it's too late, they should have believed in this life, and some will do it in joy like us who are saved, if you are, confess Him now so you won't have to do it then in damnation. Confess and believe on Him now, the one who humbled Himself for you. Humble yourself and confess Him now so you'll be saved. And in the next life, when everybody else does it, in the damnation state, you won't have to be a part of that. But everybody will confess. Things in heaven, things in earth, on the earth, demons, angels, everybody. God exalted that mindset. What is your mindset? What's our mind? What mentality are you letting in? Ask yourself that. I don't know what it is. What kind of attitude are we letting in? That's the question. See, we think, I can have any kind of attitude I want. I'm an American. I can think however I want. Yeah, you can do what you can do. You could. But we're told to let this one in. Let Jesus' mindset in. That's what we're told to do. 